Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. At Morgan Stanley, old-school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you about stocks. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Every morning, so many people come into this market with the exact same attitude. Maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day that interest rates go down and the averages go higher. Hope springs a turnaround here. Although, once again, it didn't pay off with Treasury yields marching higher, while the Dow edged up just five points as we lost 0.47%. The Nasdaq shed 0.66%. These optimistic buyers can't resist because they simply can't believe the benchmark 10-year Treasury has a 4% yield. I get it. The 10-year was at 1.73% exactly a year ago. They figured it just couldn't run so much so fast. Then it hit 2.5% in late March after the Fed made its first hike. Then it hit 3% less than a month later as it became clear that the Fed would be getting increasingly aggressive in the fight against inflation. By mid-September, we're talking about 3.5%, and then it peaked in February. I'm sorry, in October at 4.33. 4.33, keep that number in mind. At that point, we finally saw some signs that the Fed was beating inflation and then the economy was cooling down. Higher mortgage rates because of that 4.33 softened in the housing market. Christmas was just so-so. We started hearing about tech layoffs. Bed, Bath & Beyond looked like a goner. The consumer seemed topped out. Yeah. But we were wrong. Very wrong. Everyone was wrong. Somehow, January turned out to be an incredibly strong month. Maybe one of the strongest months in years. While there wasn't a huge rush to buy goods at the store, the gods of travel seemed to visit every family. When you look at the just-announced earnings from Hyatt, Airbnb, Marriott, and Wyndham, the numbers are surreal. Listen to Jeffrey Bellotti, the CEO of Wyndham, from his call a couple of weeks ago. Quote, consumer demand remains strong. Our middle-class customers continue to spend more on travel than they ever have. And they're staying longer than they were back in 2019, end quote. Or how about Brian Chesky, CEO at Airbnb? Guest demand in Airbnb remains strong. Nights and experiences booked increased 20%. We had our highest number of active bookers ever in Q4. And he says that, quote, despite evolving macroeconomic uncertainties. Marriott's Tony Capiano echoed these same comments, saying it's abundantly clear that the consumer just loves to travel right now. Mark Haplomazian, he's the CEO of Hyatt, told us that his company's enjoying a revenue per room recovery that's, quote, 
unlike anything we've previously experienced, end quote. Highest very optimism about the first quarter, given that they saw in January. It's inexplicable that this is happening, unless you think that life is too short and you have to go see the world now that COVID's running its course. The other day I talked about how there's so many distortions and discrepancies in this market. We're in such a weird place that history is no longer much of a guide to the current economy at all. One of those discrepancies, you'd think that as credit balances get drawn down, consumers will pull in their horns. Nope, not this time. They seem to have gone nuts in January. They're spending like crazy, just not at most retailers. Now, I think that's why Lowe's joined Home Depot in putting up good numbers for the previous quarter and then fretted about the state of the consumer going forward because February may not have been that good. Hence today's ugliness. Target seemed fairly confident. Walmart, too. It didn't matter. The marginal outfits like Kohl's colored the landscape negative. Everything retail got crushed today. The reason why February is shaping up to be a tougher month than January is that you can only spend so much money so fast on your credit card. At the same time, although the retailers may not want to acknowledge it, prices at the supermarket have been unleashed and nobody knows how to get them back down again. That leaves consumers with less discretionary income. It's all about inflation like the inflation that's allowed third-tier food purveyors to put up magnificent numbers, like B&G Foods, the maker of Green Giant, Clabber Girl, B&G Pickles, Cream of Wheat, among many others. As CFO Bruce Waka said last night, quote, the primary challenges that we face at the onset of the year, inflation, inflation, and inflation, continue to plague us, end quote. That's horrible for the consumer, but it's great for B&G because they're the ones raising the prices, and that's why the stock ran 28% today. CBC put up a great graphic showing this morning, showing cereals, up, bakery up 16%, dairy plus 14%, eggs, meat, and poultry up 8%, fruits and vegetables plus 7%. We can't sustain this. So then you have to ask, why do we still have bulls? Why did Dow finish up? Okay, I've been noodling this, and I think that the buyers recognize that there is value being formed, real value, that's being created between the faux linkage with the bond market. They don't know when long-term interest rates will peak. They clearly believe we, don't, we won't take out the peak in rates from last fall, so they're more sanguine. They're betting that the strength in January was an aberration. We'll keep seeing weakness as we get more February numbers. Could these buyers be right, or are they whistling past the bear market graveyard? <laughs> Yesterday, I would have said they're foolish optimists, but something did happen today that made me think the bulls might have a point. I'm talking about the incredible aforementioned shredding sell, 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 of sell. every retailer whether they reported good numbers like Walmart and Target or terrible ones like Kohl's or mixed ones like Lowe's. What is behind that wholesale uh, collapse? Simple. Lowe's confirmed that we're starting to hear something offline from the major retailers. The consumer ran out in February. Done. Not spending. Now, sure, it's possible people are still spending fortunes on travel. Travel's looking good. But I'm now wondering that things might taper off sooner than we think. A cessation in travel and a big fall from January would mean that the Fed doesn't need to tighten as aggressively, which in turn could keep Treasury yields from making new highs. I get that. But it's, it's only one part of the consumer equation. We also need to hear about the trade down, and we aren't hearing that yet. People aren't trading down to retailers that are cheaper. We need to hear about the curtailment. We aren't getting it. We need to hear about the hunger down. We're not getting it. We need to hear more CEOs like Joth Rickey from Dutch Bros telling us that while it was really difficult to hire baristas months ago, now there's thousands of resumes coming in. The problem, though, is that for the moment, the weakness is all anecdotal. We'll read about an article about rents coming down, and then we can only find a handful of markets where it's really happening. We hear that some housing markets have gone soft in January because of higher mortgage rates, but then yesterday, Hubnanian, very big home builder, told us that January was very strong, a real comeback. In fact, they said that the positive strength's continuing into February. CEO Ira Hubnanian told us, quote, certainly bodes well for a spring, strong spring selling season, end quote. 
That's not what you want to hear if you're worried about the Fed's fight against inflation. I've been adamant that we won't see a true top out in interest rates until food, wages and housing stop going higher. B&G Foods told us that food inflation is still raging and it's far from finished. Hovnanian saying that there'll be a strong spring selling season for housing and wages. Maybe we're going to see a break. Maybe what's happened in Dutch Bros turns out to be the norm. We see some big firings, big closings. But right now, we're still negative three for three. I'll change my tune if we get more data showing that February was weak. So far, we only have for the retailers. That's not enough. And they can't all be like Salesforce, which exploded higher tonight in an amazing quarter. We will speak with CEO Mark Benioff later in the show. Bottom line, those who think that rates are peaking out right now seem too bullish to me. Let them get slaughtered in their bonds, and then the market can finally have a ripstorm of a rally. But first, we either need more soft economic data or the bond bulls, or at least what is left of them, need to get wiped out right now. Robert in New York. Robert. Yes. Hey, Jimmy. Big booyah. How you doing? <laughs> Jimmy Chill says booyah right back at you. What's up? Good, good. I just wanted to ask you what you think of Domino's Pizza in, in the future. I think that they're struggling. I think that they will continue to struggle until they get their costs under control and they get more drivers. That's a real problem for them. Let's go to Stan in California. Stan. Hey, hats off to your buddy, the late great Justin Mamis, used to hang with the son, Tobe, on the Upper West Side while he composed professional uh, tape reader on the dining room table. I loved him. Justin's yeah. just great. How can I help, man? He's, a cool He's guy. missed. Oh, well, with Starbucks right now, you can see the robust traffic has returned to the U.S. stores. They beat estimates. But the neo-pandemic in China impact is not baked in, and it dampened the stock down from a high of 108. With expectations for a recovery in China, Coupled with a door-busting summer for U.S. stores, is Starbucks a bargain buy here right now at 101? I think my travel trust owns it. We write about that, of course. If you belong to the CBC Investors Club, I feel very strongly. And this is not the coffee and the oil, in the oil and the coffee, whatever. I mean, I think it's fine. What matters to me is that China's coming back with a vengeance, and you're going to do well in the stock. Those who think that rates are peaking out right now seem too bullish to me. By the way, we do have Mark Benny up there. Take-Two Interactive fell after earnings, so should investors take a second look at the stock? I'm talking to the CEO, and as I mentioned, Salesforce reported at the bell. Was the quarter as good as the activists were looking for? Let's find out from the man. And the medical device space has been a tough corner of the market as we emerge from the pandemic. So is there room for a stock like in once fabulous growth story, Intuitive Surgical? You won't want to miss my exclusive. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. 
Now is the time to embrace a new wave of workers. Every day, your team grows younger, more digital, and more drawn to entirely new ways of working, which means you need flexible solutions to connect them where business gets done. T-Mobile for Business was born digital. With America's largest 5G network, we can make it easier to work together from virtually anywhere. Your team may be changing, but with the right tech, it can be more productive than ever before. Get started at T-Mobile.com slash now. What do we need to see before the video game space can make a sustainable comeback? Consider the case of Take-Two Interactive, TTWO, best known for Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, and the massive NBA 2K basketball franchise. Nearly a month ago, Take-Two reported a truly discouraging quarter. Clear top and bottom line missed with downbeat guidance, and Strauss Selnick, the CEO, owned that. But then a funny thing happened. Despite the weak numbers, the stock rallied more than 7% in response. And while it's given up some of those gains since then, it's still outperforming the broader market year to date. When a stock rallies on a not-so-hot quarter, that is often a sign to me that the bad news is already baked into the share price. But don't take it from me. Earlier today, we got a chance to speak with Strauss Selnick. He's the straight-shooting chairman and CEO of Take-Two Interactive, and I want you to take a look. Strauss, welcome back to Mad Money. Nice to be here. Good to see you, Jim. So we've had almost a full month since the quarter. I have to tell you, I got dejected about the quarter. And you know why? Because you sounded dejected. Is there a reason to be more optimistic than you felt on February 6th? Well, I wasn't dejected. I think I was just taking seriously the fact that we guided down twice in a year. We've never done that before. Uh, Generally, our news is better than expected, not worse. And I take personal responsibility for that. So I think there was an element of seriousness uh, because it is a serious matter. But I remain every bit as optimistic as I ever have been. That's important. Both about the industry and about But I wanted to hear that because sometimes I listen and I say, all right, well, maybe when Jeffries comes out, it's a franchise pick and says, uncharacteristic quarter becoming normal. I don't want to hear that if I'm a shareholder. This is now the new normal. No, I don't believe it's the new normal at all. I think we call it as we see it. We always take responsibility for the situation we're in, and the future is indeed very bright. Well, uh, Bear comes out and says, a hit-driven business susceptible to volatile performance. Somewhat true, but you have some hits that are perennials. So I, and I think one of, the, one of the points that we made is we're blessed with all these hits. So the titles that we put out in recent memory have all been hits. Critically, the scores have been high. Uh, the disappointment has been that the market has been under some pressure. And we've seen that not just at our company, but at our competitors' companies as well. In fact, I think we performed disproportionately better in most instances. Um, so the titles ultimately that are hit titles will perform in the fullness of time. But near term, you know, there was some pressure on our numbers. At the same time, you announced a, a, a very aggressive cost-cutting program, which involves, I would think, layoffs. And uh, that is something that's a way to make the bottom line, but not the top line. How do we feel about that? We have a three-part strategy. Try to be the most creative, the most innovative, and the most efficient company in the entertainment industry. I think we're ticking the box on creativity. I think you know, we're a very innovative company. I do think after 10 years of upward sloping curves to the right, it was time to take stock. We've overachieved the synergies we expected to, to obtain with the merger with Zynga. And we wanted to take a good, solid look at our costs at the entire Take-Two enterprise. We don't expect mass layoffs. That's not part of the program. We are able to tune up efficiency. We've gone through a bottoms-up rebudgeting process. 
and I feel good. You know, we're, I think we'll exceed our cost reduction targets and we'll come out of this leaner and more energetic than ever before. When can I relate the NBA to NBA, your product, and to leagues of NBA? Because I think this could be a breakout. Every year I think that. It's been good. Could it just be great? Could it blow up? Well, look, our NBA title really is great. It's the number one sports title in North America. Uh, title this year was the highest rated NBA title we've ever had. It's an extraordinary title. It's sold in over 8 million units. Our current consumer spending is up. My team's is up 50% year over year. I don't think we could be happier. That said, there's a lot of room for growth. And uh, the number one title worldwide remains uh, FIFA, right. soon to be renamed. Um, so there's plenty of opportunity for growth. And the NBA is very focused on international markets, which I think will drive a lot of our growth because we're very well penetrated domestically. Now, it's very clear that Zynga was actually good. I mean, people who doubted Zynga are wrong. It's good. Yeah, it's highly accretive to our business. Right. Isn't that what you're supposed no, to do? No, no. Yeah. Hey, listen, I'm yeah. trying to deal. I'm trying to figure out the equation of, that gets me to 128, not 108. Now, you don't have to do that. You just put out the quality content and things will occur. But I'm looking at the pieces and saying, right now, I don't know if Strauss Zelnick has the horses until he reports another quarter to be sure that this thing can take off again. Well, it's always been our view that the market is always right at any given time. Right. We show up, we do our very best work, and we tell it the way it is. Uh, I, I'm really optimistic. We have more than 80 titles coming in the next three years. We have a lean and mean and energized team. 50% of our business is mobile, the fastest growing segment of the interactive entertainment business. Interactive entertainment remains the fastest growing segment in the entertainment business. Yes, we're seeing consumer pressure. I think it's reflected. Uh, it's a reflection of the mixed recession that I believe we're in. I know. I know, and especially for certain products. I mean, look, if you and I, if, we're, if I'm Marriott and you're high, we're saying, I can't believe how great it is. Absolutely, or live events businesses, sports right. businesses. You, Mark, I, I think that the numbers from Live Nation are, they're out of control. Yep. But let me ask one last thing. Is it, you actually, brought, you know, you're skeptical of hype, and you actually point say, play, play, say that, but you, you gave the high sign to AI. Why? I did, and I do. Because Why? I think it's a great tool. It would be, it, not to give the high sign to AI would be like saying uh, hand calculators 25 years ago were not going to be a good thing. Right. But to say, as people did 25 years ago, oh, my God, no one will have to learn math, turned out to be wrong. Oh. Uh, the AI, the expression of AI in ChatGPT and others is going to be a terrific tool to increase efficiency but it won't substitute for human creativity. True, but when I'm out at NVIDIA, I always think of you, because when you see things that are more than lifelike, that are actually you, yourself, I think Strauss Zellner is going to turn all of his games into something that would just blow us away with new ray trace, with more power. Is it possible to just do an entire refresh off of what Jensen and NVIDIA is doing? Well, not just NVIDIA. There's plenty of other companies doing great work. And yes, we're still in a... In a, a, a sort of technical deficit, which is to say there's great opportunity right. ahead. We haven't reached a technical asymptote in the business, as I would argue, for example, the movie business has. I think that's at least 10 years away. We'll really? be able to do live action in a computer. Doesn't mean everything will look that way. Right. Mobile's not going to look that way. Borderlands is not going to look that way. It shouldn't look that way. But will we have that ability, thanks to NVIDIA and other companies? We will. Okay, one last question. I think that's fabulous, and that's the way to look at take two. But what if I'm an analyst, and I'm just saying, all right, he got it down, he missed the numbers, forget the stock. How do I counteract that person, or do I just ignore them? Show up every day, work really hard, deliver the results. 
The rest will take care of itself. I'm a believer. Thank you, Strauss Zelnick. He's the chairman and CEO of Take-Two Interact. Man, money, we right back in the Coming up, profits are down and pressure is up. Mark Benioff joins Kramer next. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. What are the activists going to say now? That was my gut reaction when I saw the number Salesforce reported after the close today. Cloud Kingpin's been besieged by five activist hedge funds, which is why I took some time last night to defend the leadership of CEO Mark Benioff and why I was confident that he would get the job done. And man, I love to say I told you so. Tonight's Salesforce reported a magnificent quarter, a terrific top and bottom line beat with massively higher than expected margins and a stunning full year forecast. On top of that, they added $10 billion to their buyback authorization, something the activists have been calling for. There's now $16 billion left in the tank after the company bought back $4 billion worth of stock. Wow, what can I say? Now the stock is screaming higher in after hours trading, giving management much more ammunition to fend off the activists. Let's take a closer look with Mark Benioff. He's the co-founder, chair, and CEO of Salesforce. Mr. Benioff, welcome back to Mailbox. Jim, how are you? Well, in San I'll tell Francisco, you what, great to see you. I'm good because I do not understand how you could have such staggering numbers flicking a switch on all the issues that so many people were worried about. Tick them down because margins are great, revenue is great, forecast great, buyback great. It's pretty incredible. Well, Jim, we're just getting started. I mean, this is an acceleration on the profitability framework that we laid out at Dreamforce. You were there. But, Jim, we have hit the hyperspace button, and we decided it's time to go. We weren't going to wait two years to fiscal year 26 to deliver this proper profitability acceleration. We were going to do that right now, and that is what is happening. Now, explain to people. I mean, people are looking for, they're hoping for, say, 30% margin. But you hit it. I mean, you hit it, but give or take. I mean, these were numbers that everyone, all of the six people were like, yeah, whatever. They're saying, hey, he can't do it. He can't do it. He won't, they, he won't take the medicine. He won't do it. You took the medicine. You bought back more stock. You gave them granularity of the buyback. It is rather amazing that the things that they told me you couldn't do, you're doing. Jim, this is now one of the largest software companies in the world, one of the most profitable, one of the highest cash flows one of the greatest market shares in one of the most important markets in the world, CRM. Uh, You're right, uh, Salesforce really has uh, done it all. But you can really see, Jim, here right at the tippy top of the quarter here, 29.2% margins in Q4. That's really becoming our North Star. We can really see 
that 30% margin target that we've all been talking about. We're really heading in that direction. And that's a very exciting moment, but also so is revenue in the quarter. And you can see we've delivered more than $31.4 billion in revenue for the year. You know, there's only been a few other software companies that have ever had such an incredible revenue acceleration. And Jim, that's not all. We also delivered amazing cash flow, more than $7 billion in cash flow for the year. And you're right, we're doing an incredible buyback. We accelerate our buyback from $10 billion to $20 billion, and we've already bought $4 billion. And this is because we're a huge cash machine. We're going to continue to do what's right for our shareholders. Okay, so there's an article in the Wall Street Journal that you uh, it's all hot until it gets bad. Now, the truth is you're a business person, okay? You've always been a business person. The people who work for Salesforce can easily get a job anywhere else. It's the best place to work. We all know this. How many people have you actually had to lay off? I know you made announcements that indicate to me that you're, you're pretty much done the layoffs. Jim, we've, we are, you know, we are uh, really looking at not just the short-term restructuring, but long-term restructuring of the company. We're looking at profitability, but also productivity and performance. We're looking at prioritization of our products, and we're also looking at improving all of our shareholder relations. This has been our strategy. That's how you see us delivering uh, these amazing uh, numbers. But as I mentioned, Jim, we're not done. Our profitability is our highest priority. That's a key part of it. Uh, We've even hired Bain to come in here and tell us what are all the opportunities to go even farther. So I'm very excited about what's possible ahead in the future. Why did you need Bain when you have an outfit like Elliott Partners that is willing to sit down with you and tell you what they think and may actually still want even more board members, which seems odd given the numbers that you just gave them? Well, Jim, you want Bain in here because they're the world's leading company in helping organizations that are at scale and size, like we are, at really taking their margins to the next level. And you can see that's what we are doing. Uh, We're accelerating our margins. We've also, you can see, accelerated our revenue, accelerated our cash flow. All of these things are in this quarter's results, and they're the leader in helping us to achieve that. Okay, well, these hedge funds move the goalposts. Well, they say, okay, that's great. You did everything we wanted. Now we got a whole new slew of things, and we want Matthew McConaughey placed on the cross right now. Well, Jim, we're a big company, and I'll tell you, Matthew McConaughey is an amazing person. You know that. He's done incredible work for us. You've seen the spots. You know they're award-winning. They've transformed our brand. They've given us a level of awareness, certainly, of the consumer market that we never had. And we're lucky to have a spokesperson like Matthew McConaughey. I think most companies would love to have him. Okay, I want to talk another thing people told me. No more organic growth. What happened to the organic growth? All they do is tack on growth. It seems like both Boston Scientific and Ford may be examples of organic growth. Oh, Jim, we have an amazing product. And you you saw it for the first time at Dreamforce. And look, we're entering the age of A.I., And as we enter the age of AI, it means that every single one of our customers is going to need our new data cloud. Data cloud is a product that sits inside your enterprise and it works with our sales cloud, our service cloud, our marketing cloud, our commerce cloud, all of our core products. And then what it can do is it can help to connect not only your key products, like with Ford, you mentioned Mach-E, like it's already connected to the data cloud. And then, and I know this because I'm a Mach-E owner, I received text and I've received emails directly from our data cloud as I hit different kind of thresholds with the product performance. So it is a customer engagement layer. It's an intelligent, real-time automated system that sits within our clouds to help take advantage of artificial intelligence so you have the best 
connectivity with your customers. That's what Data Cloud is, and it's a key part of our organic growth strategy. In fact, it's one of our fastest growing clouds of the quarter. Okay, so I sit back and I say, what was Mark doing that all it did it take six activists to get this accomplished? Because they, these had the profitability had not been the major focus. It hadn't been growth. But now it seems like profitable growth. Did it take the, the feet to the fire of, of, of people who may not even know, say, uh, technology as well as you? Just guessing. Jim, it's always been our plan. And like I said, at Dreamforce, you know, we laid out our profitability framework. But look, in regards to the activists, Jim, let me just tell you this. We can learn from everybody. Right. We do learn from everybody. I love learning from everybody. And... Um, as I've met all of them, it's been an amazing journey for me. I mean, one of them that I just love is Mason Morfitt at Value Act. I just have to tell you, I just have a huge appreciation for him. We've worked with him now over the last year. He was at Dreamforce. He came with his founder, Jeff Ubbin, who's also an amazing longtime friend of mine. And, you know, they laid out a strategy for us that was incredible uh, on distribution, on pricing, things that we could not have really understood, maybe because Mason was on the board of Microsoft. Right. So he's able to bring all that kind of expertise to us now. I was so impressed with Mason and Value Act and Jeff too, that I put Mason on the board. So Salesforce has a great new board member, Mason Morfitt, the CEO of Value Act. I couldn't be more excited about him. And we also are adding Sasha Morvin, who's the CFO of MasterCard, amazing financial expertise. And of course, you know Arnold Donald very well. Incredible executive who was the CEO of Carnival. Okay, now. Three I, amazing new board members. But, Jim, the, that's five new board I, members I, in the last 16 months. But there are people who may not be appeased. There will be people who say we want more tech people. We want people lead director. We're not happy with the numbers or, or we think the numbers are temporary. What do you say to the people who are going to insist on new board members? Jim, we have the best tech experience on our board of the entire industry. Just look at Susan, the CEO of YouTube. Robin was this was at PeopleSoft. PeopleSoft, we have the CEO Craig Conway on our board. I know Maynard, all these the people; CEO they're fantastic. I know. eBay. I, all our board members, we have the best tech experience. Oh, Mason, did I mention um, from Microsoft? Right, right. Well, yeah, so but see, okay, okay. Tech expertise I, on our board. We why find did these? All, why did these people decide? that you, whom I met when your stock was at eight with an unbelievable performance, why did they decide that you were the cash cow they were gonna go after? And, and do you think they're done? Jim, I, I can't really speak for them. I mean, it certainly was an atypical moment in the market last year. You can right. speak to that. You followed the company of since 2008, the first time I was on your show. And, and you, know, I think our, and you weren't I, afraid to come I, on. I can't remember exactly. What's that? Yeah, it was at eight bucks and you weren't afraid to come on. You wouldn't tell me why I was wrong. And you were right. And I ate crow on TV because you were right. And I want to know, do you are you thinking about leaving oh, this Jim, firm? Come on. Are we're, you thinking about leaving this company? Yeah, you are. Well, Jim, you know, I love this company and I've never been more excited about the future of Salesforce. You know, I think we're moving into this AI world and it's going to be more important to have technology to interface with your customers than ever before. And Salesforce is the number one CRM company in the world. We're going to be the glue between every company and their customers. Well, do you need this a co-CEO? Can we just have Mark future. Benioff be Mark Benioff? Do we need a co-CEO? And will you commit to working until 2033? <laughs> Jim, if you're working to 2033, which is what you told me, then I am too. I, I, you weren't supposed to tell that. That was just, Yeah, I, I do intend to work. <laughs> you weren't supposed to say that. That's all right. One last, one last question. 
Are you still having fun? Why didn't you just say to him, you know what, the heck with you? Jim, I am having fun. And you know that because, you know, you are at Dreamforce and I've just never been more excited about our customer success. We just hit record low attrition. Oh, I've never been more excited about the innovation and new products coming out that a company. I can't wait to show you the demos of the data cloud. I hope we can go to Detroit together and look at what Ford is doing and Boston Scientific and F1 and these amazing companies that are hooking in our most impressive new AI technology to connect with their customers in a whole new way. And Jim, I am excited that we have created the third largest software company in the world, and we're still going. With the reacceleration of growth, reacceleration operating cash flow, larger buyback than we thought with true granularity and margins that we didn't think you were going to hit for several years. And if people are still upset with you, well, let me just tell you, they should go. Maybe they need to join a different Ohana, okay? (laughs) Jim, we can embrace everyone in our hearts. Our heart is big enough for everyone. This is all about love. Well, it's also about the numbers. Never forget that. Mark Benioff, he's founder, chair, and CEO of CRM. What a stock. Congratulations, Mark. Great numbers. Business is the greatest platform for James, Jim. Totally. See you soon. May have money's back in for the break. Coming up, an intuitive stock to pick? Grammar lasers in on this med tech company with surgical precision. Next. medical device space get over its post-COVID hangover. We thought this group could make a comeback once it was safe for people to go to the hospital again for non-urgent procedures. But the group had a very tough time last year. Take one of my old phase, Intuitive Surgical, the maker of minimally invasive robotic-assisted surgical systems. For a long time, this was one of my favorite stocks. But in 2021, it soared into the stratosphere. Then the Fed declared war on inflation. All the high multiple stocks got obliterated from its peak in late 2021 to its lows last October. ISRG lost more than half of its value, four of them just under 370 to around 180. Since then, it's rebounded to the 220s, but unlike many other growth stocks, 2023 has not yet, and I emphasize yet, been a good year for them. In early January, Intuitive pre-announced some disappointing numbers. Companies still growing nicely, but not as fast as Wall Street was hoping. Since then, the stock's down more than 15%, but this may be an opportunity. What's it going to take for the stock to get back on track? Let's check in with Gary Guthard. He's the president and CEO of Intuitive Surgical. Get a bit of a read on the situation. Dr. Guthard, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, uh, pleasure to see you again. Happy to be back after uh, a, little, uh, a little spell. I am thrilled that you're back. And what I want people to understand why I've always believed in your company is, quite simply, and I'll let you chase them out, the four aims of improving the patient access and experience. That's right. I, one of the things that our customers talk about is the quadruple aim, and, and our job is to help them do that. Right. So this is a, a hospital-based concept, and the quadruple aim is quite simply better outcome for patients, a better treatment experience for patients, better experience for the care teams that provide that care, and lower total cost to treat per patient episode. Those are the four aims. And we're a highly analytic company at Intuitive, and we want to measure ourselves against those things. We have, but we've used real-world evidence to do it, And that's the basis of our conversation with our customer base. Okay, so have the headwinds of 2022 starting to diminish? Here I'm talking about staffing problems, supply chain problems. They've got to be becoming less headwindish, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I think we'll start at the top. What's the kind of core demand side? Core demand side is patients in seek of of, uh, good treatments for their underlying conditions. 
And we're seeing patients come back into the healthcare system, some of whom had stayed out of diagnostic pipelines early on in the pandemic. Then there's the the delivery side, delivery of care. And so that side is twofold. One is, can we supply? Our supply chain teams have done a fantastic job in a historically difficult supply chain environment. We're starting to see that uh, get a little bit easier Okay. But we have a lot of uh, different products and components, and so easier doesn't mean it's back to historic ease. Can you just tell us what it means? I mean, look, you're a powerful client. Anyone in the world will want you as a client. How can someone say to you, we don't have what you want? We've done a a great job, and I have been really thankful for our supply chain partners to, to find the parts they need because we're a critical care company in healthcare. Having said that, it's taken a fair amount of effort and uh and engagement with those players to, to make sure we retain supply, sometimes all the way down to the raw material level. But that's what our teams are paid to do, okay. and they go do it. All right, so installations, do we have to worry about the financial health of hospitals if they become a problem? One of the great things that we've seen is that we can demonstrate using their data, real-world evidence from electronic medical records, that we are uh, a financially effective and profitable way for the hospital to deliver care. So they are financially stressed. They've seen inflation in their labor costs. And I think that we can be a part of that solution for them, not a part of the problem. Okay, how about China? Lockdown now, we're starting to see uh, anecdotal evidence that things are coming back with a vengeance there. Yeah, it's, our, his, our history there has been demand is really high for high-quality health care. That's a market that has a national quota in our kind of uh, environment of surgical robots. So they're going to they're gonna limit the amount of supply that's there, but the use of those robots typically recovers quickly after COVID waves, and so we're encouraged, enthusiastic. Okay. Now, uh, no new refresh, so presumably that if you have a, one of a DaVinci system that's four or five years old, there's no need to trade in and get a new system? So we are constantly upgrading systems that are in the field, so the systems that you might have had uh, in 2020 are getting better every year with new products and software upgrades. We always work on new generations of systems, and so we're working on those things, and we've brought entirely new platforms to the market a single port platform called SP, and a soft robotics platform that we talked about last time we were together right. called ION, both of which are having nice uh, performance well, in the market. ION's up 200%, but is that too small? Uh, I think that we're still in early innings for ION. Okay. I think that that growth is being driven by its appropriateness for the clinical need, which is uh, investigating distal um, uh, tumors in the lung and doing biopsies. That looks great, and customer response has been fabulous. Fantastic. And I think that product has long legs in the existing indication and in future indications. All right, I've got to ask this, and then we have a meeting. Uh, doctorless surgery, could it happen? We've seen so much with, with you know, accelerated computing. I don't want to go overboard about what it can mean, but could, we, could the machines do better than people? Uh, there are certainly subtasks that make sense, so I want to talk about it in terms of layers. First layer is, can you assess and evaluate good data, high-quality big data? We have made big investments in that and made real progress okay. in helping hospitals understand their own data. The next one is guidance, real-time guidance. Right. The last one would be automation. The thing you talked about is going to come in stages. Uh, expect automation in subtasks like radar adaptive cruise control rather than the whole thing all at once. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, look, Gary, i got to tell you, it sounds like some of the headwinds are diminishing. If you bet against intuitive... You haven't done very well over the course of the last 5, 10, 15 years. I know that much. Gary Goodhart, CEO of ISRG, Intuitive Surgical, where I think the headwinds are diminishing. They have money's back in. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. 
It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Let's start with Tommy in Illinois. Tommy. Hey, Jim. Good evening. Uh, good evening, Tommy. I want to ask about, yeah, I'd like to know, uh, I'm trying to stick with CyberArk. I like CyberArk very much. Now, my favorite, as I've said, in one of my travel trust zones is Palo Alto Networks. I think the Cash Roar's got it all. Soup the nuts. Jerry in Missouri. Jerry! Hey, Jim. Hey, Jerry. This company reported this evening. It's taking a beating. Do you think the reaction is overblown in Snowflake? You know what? I have not heard the conference call. I owe Frank Slootman to listen to the conference call before I opine, so I'm going to have to take a pass on it right now. I know the weakness, but I also know the Slootman's the real deal. Let's go to Gary in Nevada, please. Gary. Yes. Hello, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. Yep. You have a stock, Gary? Huh. What? Oh, do you have a stock, Gary? We're looking for a stock lightning round. Stock lightning round. Go ahead. Yeah. Hmm. Little guy. Yes, go ahead, Gary. Go ahead. You know what? We may have to move on from Gary. I I, I apologize. Um, let's go to Lamar in Ohio. Lamar. Jim, how are you doing? I am doing well. How about you, Lamar? What's happening? Oh, this uh. Ready to relax the rest of the day and just to let you know, I've been watching you since America Now when you were on there with Larry Cuzzo oh, back in the day. 23 years. How can I help? Hey, I'm interested in Cardinal Health. Is it a buy or I like hold? Cardinal. I like it's up there finally with McKesson. It finally is. It's doing really well. It's restructured. It's a very good stock going right here. I like Cardinal, especially on this little dip. Let's go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Dr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Uh, Scott Wapner had an outstanding interview with David Einhorn today. He sure did. Congratulations, Scott. uh, During the course of the interview, they flashed some screens with stocks on it. And one caught my eye. It's in the IT services. Ticker symbol is KD. Name of the company is Kindrell. Yeah, well, this is a spinoff of IBM. It's Martin Schroeder. He's doing an excellent job. The stock has made a very good move off the bottom. If they can get profitable in the next two years, it's a major winner. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, white shoe washout. Kramer takes a top-to-bottom look at where Goldman goes from here. Next. Booyah, Jim. I love you, man. I've been watching you from day one. Thank you for all the wonderful advice that you provide us. I'm learning so much watching your show. Watch your program every day. I love it. Always wanted to say booyah on your show. Thank you for being the greatest in the world. We consider you the money market maker, and we thank you for all you do. I love your show. I love how fans your show, and we think it's the most entertaining program on TV.
other day I was talking to David Faber, my squawk on the street compadre, about the rapid changes at Goldman Sachs. At one point he turned to me and said something to the effect that he wanted to know my personal take on Goldman's move to embrace everyday consumer banking, given that I once worked there. Make no mistake, that's what they were doing, or at least trying to do, with their consumer bank named Marcus and their expansion of it into every other facet, including Goldman's $2.23 billion acquisition of Green Sky, a company specializing in consumer loan originations, which they bought at the top of the fintech craze, and also a very expensive foray into the international world of credit cards. I told them I've been floored by the entire effort. The Goldman Sachs of today feels nothing like the Goldman Sachs I worked at in the 80s. In fact, this movement consumer banking is totally antithetical to everything I was taught when I worked there. I cringed at the idea of the consumer banking business, although not as much as I cringed at the name Marcus, even as it is named after the founder of Goldman. I didn't like it from day one because I was taught not to like it. By who? How about by my Goldman elders, real titans of the business. When I worked in security sales, my division back in the day, the goal was to hunt elephants. We weren't supposed to waste our time, so to speak, with anyone who wasn't a multimillionaire. And that's mid-80s dollars. I was excoriated if I tried to bring in someone with less than a million bucks in assets, and I was told to politely usher them out the door. Why then? Why did they only want incredibly rich clients? Well, the same reason Willie Sutton robbed banks. That's where the money is. Now, I totally understand the former CEO Lloyd Blankfein wanted to get Goldman off the cyclical roller coaster of the investment banking underwriting businesses when he decided to pivot to the consumer. He figured that, well, maybe it could smooth things over. Maybe if they got enough accounts, they could start making real money to offset investment banking downturns. When his successor, David Solomon, came in, he doubled down on the consumer strategy. Yesterday, though, he talked to Andrew Ross Sorkin and finally admitted there are real issues with the business. He mentioned that Goldman tried to do too much too quickly and added that, quote, our execution in some areas of this wasn't good. I think that completely misses the point. He's got it wrong. It's not merely an execution problem. Goldman's whole consumer business should be packaged and sold to someone else. Maybe someone will buy it so the company can go back to its roots. To me, the consumer division is a huge distraction from elephant hunting. This is a country that's created tens, 20, tons of multimillionaires and billionaires in the last 20 years. There have been amazing companies that came public via Goldman where the broker could focus on lining up the next generation's billionaires as clients. And that's where the money is. Not in giving people loans to buy refrigerators that they may pay back or not in credit cards with no real margin. Frankly, frankly, it's insane. Goldman's real business, the one I remember, was a gigantic cash cow. The real business is so good, but... It's had poor execution simply because the people who run it are no longer in the driver's seat of the overall company. I think it's time to let the wealth management division run the joint. That's the division that wouldn't let me bring in a client who was worth nearly $900,000, merely. Now, there is some good news here. Goldman's so lucrative that its stock had a total return of 70% since Solomon came in versus 46% for the S&P. But Morgan Stanley's up 135% during that period because unlike Goldman, they went all in on wealth management. It's not too late. Goldman simply needs to get rid of everything since 2016 to a monster buyback and then start paying a big dividend in return to its previous greatness, which would result in gigantic multiple expansion because you wouldn't put a big dividend if you didn't have confidence. I know there are people at Goldman who will now call me a total bozo for doubting their consumer banking strategy. But any of the 900 people who worked there with me in 1984 would agree that the firm's going in a ludicrous direction. It's never too late to change course. I know nobody likes elitism. It's usually a bad thing. But when you're running an investment bank, elitism is part of your business model. Morgan Stanley gets it. Until Goldman does, too, it'll keep lagging behind. 
I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com.